growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's important because we need to see God's standard for a relationship with Him. That's what this letter is is about. We need to understand God's standard because the vast majority of people in the world think of themselves as good people. What does it mean to say that I am a follower of Jesus? Should my life be different as a Christian? From a biblical perspective, the answers to those questions seem obvious. But as you'll hear today, sometimes people want to change God's truth into what they want it to be. They tend to think, well, I'm a good person. I do enough good, I'll get into heaven. And John's making it clear, no, 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 that that won't do it. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in a new series entitled The Am I Series, where we're making our way through the New Testament letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and exploring the idea of what it means to call myself a Christian. What does it look like? How should it impact my life? Pastor Clay has been taking us through the first chapter of 1st John, where the theme for John's whole letter is being laid out. It is a message for life, for your life, for eternal life, sure, an understanding of what eternal life is and how eternal life is secured and and how we know that we have it. So for eternal life, yes, but for the life right now that you have. Some false teachers with distorted views of God's Word were influencing the church and causing confusion for followers of Jesus Christ. There are still plenty of false teachers around today, so John's message has just as much application for us today as it did for the church 2,000 years ago. Now here's Pastor Clay. are a blessed people. We have a lot of stuff. We are financially blessed. And if you don't think that you are financially blessed, just go up to any one of the persons that went on the mission to Peru and ask them whether we as Americans are, are blessed uh, if we materially have a lot of stuff. But I really believe that one of the key strategies that the enemy uses against us is our, is our busyness. Because between our obligations, right? And we have that, you know, and I hear that feeling, man, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got this going on, and I fly out this week, I've got this. Between our obligations and our recreations, we've got our recreations, it seems that there's little time left for our dedication uh, to our relationship with the Lord. It suffers as a result of that. Now, you don't have to answer this out loud because I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I'm, I'm really not. But if you think back to the week that just was, that we just moved out of, all 10,080 minutes of it. If you think back to all 10,080 of the minutes that just were in the week that just was, and then what you think about this minute, how many of those minutes did you spend in the Word of God and in prayer to God? How many minutes? How many minutes Monday? How many minutes Tuesday did you spend in the Word of God and in conversation with God? Now, let's suppose that you spent 30 minutes a day with God this past week in prayer, in conversation with Him, in His Word, that you spent 30 minutes a day. And let's be honest here, okay? Let's, let's, not, let's not sugarcoat it. <clears throat> that would be a number that far exceeds what the average Christian spends in the Word of God and in prayer per day. That, that would far exceed what the average Christian would honestly say they spent. And maybe, I was saying this, maybe that's part of the problem, is too many followers of Jesus are content to just be average Christians when God wants so much more for us. So much more for us. But let's, let's say that, that 
that we're all that we're 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 working hard and we and that we spent at least thirty minutes a day the last seven days time in prayer time in the Word of God. That means that you would have spent two hundred and ten minutes in conversation with God, either through His Word or just conversing and listening and and that sort of thing. Two hundred and ten minutes, and if you're if you're not quick with math as I am not always quick with math. Hey, all I'm saying is that still leaves 9,870 minutes for you to get done all the stuff that you think you've got to get done this week. I, I, I'm just saying something's got to change. If, if we want to change, if we want change, if we want to experience all that God wants us to have and to, and to, to know the reality of what it means to walk in His presence and experience His power in our life, I'm just saying something's, something's got to change. So, I will read it one more time. 1 John, chapter 1, beginning this morning in verse 1. Everybody here? Everybody awake? Got your Bibles open? Hard copy? Digital copy? Memorized? What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Here's where we've gone so far in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we have brought out a couple of different truths. And the first truth that we looked at uh, at least three weeks ago was that this, this, is a, this is a message from love. This is that we need to understand John's motivation. And he's writing an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's God's uh, motivation. This is a message from love. And as I said a few weeks ago, you need to keep that in mind as we make our way through these letters. Because at times, I'm just going to tell you, John, the, the disciple of love, Y'all, you know what I'm saying? John, the disciple of love, at, at times in this letter, John does his best James impersonation, if y'all know what I'm talking about. James, you know, James is very quick to bring the hammer down. He's just like, mm, 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 mm. John kind of does a James impersonation uh, some here. And, and, and so something can be easy to forget. Man, what? No, it, it's out of love. He says, because we want you to have, he says it right in, in those verses, three and four there. He says, we want you to have fellowship with us in our fellowships with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We want you to have that. It's a message from love. And then the the second truth uh, of this opening kind of synopsis of the entire letter is that it is a message for life, for your life, 
For eternal life, sure, an understanding of what eternal life is and how eternal life is secured and, and how we know that we have it, right? First John five 13, we'll see that when we get there. These things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. So for eternal life, yes, but for the life right now that you have, uh, how, whatever your age, uh, 8 or, or 18 or 87 or whatever your age is, for the life that you have right now, for however long that it is, uh, that this is a message for your life. And the message uh, basically breaks down, at least the way I'm presenting it, the message basically breaks down into three parts. There's three parts to this message. And the first part, uh, I'm talking about John's message that he's writing. The first part, if you remember this, I think from two or three weeks ago, was God has no sin. If you were here, do you remember that? God has no sin. That's the first part of the message. Listen to what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Notice the authority. He's not writing under He's writing in the, under the authority uh, and the inspiration of God Almighty. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. Here it is. Here's the message. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. We talked about how uh, the uh, light is used as analogy for, for God himself. It's used as analogy for, for holiness, for separateness, for sinlessness. That, that's this analogy that light is. And darkness is used as an analogy for, for Satan and for sin and for corruption and, and for evil. And so John draws a very clear picture and he says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give it to you because it's just that important. Why is it important that we understand the, the nature of God, that, there is, that, that he is light and that there is no sin in God at all? Here's what I said a, f- a few weeks ago that we, ha- that we have to understand. First, it's important because right, uh, a right understanding of God, right theology will lead to right worship of God. That, that, if, that I've really got to know who he is, not, not who uh, Tom at work. Well, I think God is more like, not what Reverend so-and-so necessarily says. What, what does the word of God say? How does God describe himself as to who he is? If I'm going to worship him rightly, I have to rightly know who he is. And remember, I said this, but worship is not just all of us standing here uh, singing our songs. How you guys and ladies act at school is an act of worship if it's done to the glory of God. How, how you ladies and gentlemen act at work or at home uh, with your kids, with your spouse, is an act of worship if it is done in a way that honors him. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. So it's important for that reason. But it's also important, the second reason I said a couple weeks ago that it was important, is because we need to see God's standard for a relationship with him. Because that's, that's what this letter is, is about. He's talking a lot about that. And we need to understand God's standard. And the reason we need to understand that is because, I'm telling you, and you know this too, if you've had any conversation with anybody, the vast majority of people in the world think of themselves as good people. The problem is good is not the standard. Perfect is the standard. You remember we, we looked at that in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, okay, you want to do it on your own? All you got to do is be perfect, as my Father in heaven is imperfect. Good is not the standard. Perfect is the standard. And we have to understand that because people think, well, you know, I'm a good person. So, uh, so God has no sin. In him there's no darkness at all. And his standard is no darkness at all. And that creates a problem because the second part of the message that we looked at a couple weeks ago is you have sin. 
You and me, all of us. But you understand, you have sin. Now watch, look at it in uh, verses 8 uh, through 10. And, and I'll come back, you'll understand why, I'm, uh, I hope you'll understand why I'm jumping down to verse 8 here. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are what? What's that word? Deceiving. We're deceiving who? Ourselves. Listen, you're not, you're not fooling your neighbor. You're not fooling your spouse. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You have sin. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, obviously that would be important for a person without a relationship with God. A, a lost person, as the Bible would, would, would imply, they need to understand that they are a sinner because they tend to think, well, I'm a good person. I do enough good, I'll, I'll get into heaven. And, and, and John's making it clear, no, 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 that, that won't do it. And so obviously they need to know, but the church, the body that, that professes to know Christ, you need to know it, we need to know it as well because of false teaching. And it started early, way back in the early church. It already started. Uh, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, this, this growing movement. Now, it didn't really come into its own really until the beginning of the second century, probably. But, but here, even in, in John's letter, he's beginning to address what would come to be known as Gnosticism. This, this group of people who said, hey, we're, we're Christians. We're part of the body of Christ. Oh, and by the way, did we mention we've got some secret knowledge that y'all don't know about? The, the original apostles, they didn't have it. And um, uh, uh, the, the Word of God, that, that doesn't contain it. No, we have this secret knowledge. So if you want this knowledge, you, you, got, to, you, got, to, you got to come to us to get this, this secret knowledge. That was Gnosticism. And as, as I said, with all false teachers, uh, they, they, they take, what they'll tend to do is take a little bit of truth and distort it and twist it and misuse it to, to lead people astray that's what that's what they do take a little bit of truth and turn it into a a lie and such was the case with gnosticism and gnosticism tended to uh and this is true again a a lot of heresies you'll see this it tends to go to one extreme or the other and one of the extremes that the gnostics were promoting was this idea of perfectionism it was affecting the morality of the church the conduct the moral conduct of the body of christ how we act when we go out in the world one of the things they were promoting that some of the, the, that heretical teaching was promoting was perfectionism. It was the idea that, that if you just keep gaining this knowledge, if you, if you keep coming up, keep gaining this knowledge, you're going to keep climbing the spiritual ladder, so to speak, and you will eventually, in this life, in your physical body, you'll come to a place where you will simply no longer sin. You will become perfect. And so clearly, John is addressing that in, uh, in, in verses 8 and following. He's addressing that, right? So... No, no, you, you have sin. We have sin. We are sinners and we have to understand that. So perfectionism is not right. But it tended to go to one extreme or the other. And it's the other extreme that I want to spend some time on this morning, uh, which is contained in the third component of this message that John is delivering. So God has no sin. You have sin. We have sin. The third part of the message was this. We will move away from sin. If we are part of the body of Christ, if we're genuinely born again, John chapter 3, we will move away from sin. Look at it in verse 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him, 
so to put that in today's vernacular, if we say that we're a Christian, if we say that we're born again, if we say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what he's talking about when he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in what? Darkness. What, is, what does darkness represent? Sin, sinfulness, corruption. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we're, we're lying. It's a lie. We do not practice the truth, but here's the contrast. If we walk in the light, what does light represent? Purity, holiness, separateness, sinlessness. If we walk in that light, he himself, as, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're part of this thing. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The other extreme of the, the, this teaching that was beginning to emerge in the early church you had perfectionism on, on one end. The other extreme was what came to be known as antinomianism. Antinomianism. Uh, anti meaning against, basically. Namas meaning law. So the antinomians were, were against law. They were against the idea of moral law or a moral code or a moral standard for, for our conduct. They were against that. Now, I'll explain to you in a moment what they were teaching, but, but what, I, uh, what I need you to see is this technique that false teaching will do because it's, false teaching is still alive and well today, how people will take a little bit of Scripture and they'll distort that Scripture. And to do that, I'm going to take you back just for a few moments to verses 8 through 10 again so that you can see how, how this technique is used to, to twist the Word of God, to misuse the Word of God, uh, to, to mislead the people of God uh, into, into a wrong direction in their life. So in verse 8 through, through 10, let me just read it from here again. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, John jumps into verse 8 and says, oh no, you, you, def- you have sin, man. You definitely have sin. And did you notice, as we read that, notice how he circles back around to it in verse 10 and essentially says the same thing again? He says it again, you have sin. It's, it's silly to even say that you don't have sin. He says it in verse 8 and he says it in verse 10 because he's, he's saying, he's combating this idea that, you th- that if you think you're going to be perfect, you might as well forget that. You're not going to get there. This side of heaven, you're not going to reach perfection. But, listen to me, couched in between those two declarations of sin is a declaration of salvation and it is a glorious declaration ladies and gentlemen now watch this in verse 9 he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness amen amen hallelujah jump a pew There are four words, four particular words in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that I want to call to your attention. Okay? First word, confess. And if you're looking at verse 9, you can see where that word shows up in there. First word, confess. Homologeo in the original language. In classical Greek, it carried this meaning. It, it, by the way, it could, it, could mean, uh, it could mean profession. So if I said, like, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord... So confession could be a profession, 
But it also was, was used as a term to, for a criminal to openly admitting to a crime and acknowledging the guilt of their crime. In a, in a military or, or a war sense, it was used to, uh, to capitulate or surrender to a superior force. The same homologeo word, confess. And in, uh, in financial terms, in money and in terms of finances, it actually meant to accept one's debt. To accept one's debt. To accept one's debt. So, here, here's, what I, here's what I'm getting at. Confession, in the biblical sense, means much more than, than going into a little booth and crossing myself and saying, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then running them off like a grocery list. And, dare you think that I'm offending the Catholics. Let me be an equal opportunity offender. Nor does it mean, as in the typical Protestant prayer meeting, where we, where we pray off our wish list and close it with, and forgive us our many sins in Jesus' name, amen. If I had a dollar for every prayer meeting that closed out with, and forgive us our many sins in Jesus' name, amen. No, no, the biblical concept of confession is something much, much more than that. Uh, to, to put it into a formula, it might, it might look like this. Contrition plus correction equals confession. In other words... Contrition, to, to, to not only acknowledge my sin, but to feel the weight of my sin. To feel the, the guilt that I'm responsible for. To feel the weight of it. That is contrition. To feel the remorse coupled with the desire to move away from that sin. To move away from that conduct. To change. To make a course Correction, contrition, acknowledging, admitting, feeling the weight of my sin, and then making a course correction to go in a new direction. That is authentic biblical confession. That's what the Bible means when it says biblical confession. If we confess our sins, if we feel the weight of that sin, if we understand our guilt before God, and we make a course correction. First word, confess. Second word, forgive. Afe. In the Greek, look at this. Lots of ways that can be used. To leave, to let go, to set aside, to leave behind, to abandon, to, dis- to dismiss or div- divorce. In Matthew 15, it's actually used as a, a cancellation of a financial debt. Now there's some good news, folks. There's some good news. This sin debt that you've just acknowledged and this weight of it that you just, that you just felt, it's left. You've let it go. It's set aside. It, you, you've, you can leave it behind. It, it's, it's dismissed. Your debt is canceled. It's paid. Why? Because Jesus Christ took your debt that you owed. He took it upon himself on the cross. And so you are forgiven. You are current present tense forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Jump another pew. To forgive, to understand. And that's what he says. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. Third word. Cleanse. Katharizo in the Greek. It is, to obviously in, in a literal sense, to cleanse dirt and stains. The, the cleansing of dirt and stains. But in a moral, moral or an ethical sense, it's used uh, as cleansing from defilement of sin and free from the guilt of sin. Think about it, folks. I mean, it's like... All right, he already said I'm forgiven, but it's like God said, no, no, that's not enough. I want to say it again. You're cleansed, man. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. 
it's, it's erased. It's no more. Not because you worked it out or not because you were good enough or not because you did enough good to outweigh the bad, but because the perfect one, remember what's God's standard? Perfection. The perfect one went to the cross and all of your sins were, were hung on him. When I confess, I, he, he forgives and he cleanses. Fourth word, y'all ready? Fourth word, look at it there in verse 9. All, passes in the Greek, interesting word. Passes means all. All. Hey, all means all, and that's all that all means. That's what I mean. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever had, every ounce of sin, every minute that you've ever spent in sin, every, every reminder that Satan brings to you, every lust that you've had, every, every wrongful thought, every fear that you've had, every doubt that you've had, every lack of faith that you've had, every moment that you've, that you've wasted of your life doing something contrary to what God has given, every single bit of it is gone. Adios. Hasta la vista. Au revoir. That's all, folks. Because all means all, and that's all that all means. Oh, listen. Listen. What a glorious, what a glorious truth. But do you remember the antinomians that I mentioned? Here's what they did. They took this glorious truth and other verses that support this idea of, of forgiveness and cleansing and and God making us righteous in his sight. They took verses like that and they began to distort them. Basically, the antinomians' uh, uh, thought, their, their teachings, went like this. Hey, listen, we're saved by grace. And we're saved by grace from all of our sins. I mean, that, that's what the Bible says, right? We, we just, just saw we're, we're cleansed from all of our sins. It's right there. First John 1, 9. All of our sins, we're saved from all of our sins, past, present, future, every, all the stuff, we're saved from all of it. So it doesn't matter what we do in our flesh. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We, we can do whatever we want because it's all forgiven and it's all flesh anyway. We're leaving all that stuff behind and, and, and we're saved in the spirit. And, and, and so it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. As a matter of fact, some of the teaching uh, even, even emphasized the fact that actually we should sin because the rationale was, hey, if we sin a lot, since all of our sins are forgiven, if we sin a lot, God's grace is displayed a lot. And so, you know, we, we kind of owe it to God to just dive into as much sin as we possibly can dive into so that his grace can be displayed all the more. And John, in response to that, and I'm paraphrasing, I, I admit, but I think, I think Scripture backs it up. John, in response to that, says... Are you insane? Are you insane? You're telling me. Look, look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 6, 7. Look at it again. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we're lying. And we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John says, man, are, are you crazy? You're saying that... that Jesus Christ died on the cross, this cruel, agonizing, humiliating, painful death to take on your sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be cleansed, so that you could go out and sin some more? Have you lost your mind? Listen, the Apostle Paul uh, seems to be addressing this same idea. Maybe it was even surfacing He seems to be addressing the same idea in Romans chapter 6. Look what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in, in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. No, Paul says, no. 
We who died to sin, how could we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all we who are baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, the, the symbolism of, of identifying with his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism to death. We identified with his death on the cross, those of us who profess Christ. That just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might, watch this, walk in newness of life. Walking in the light, not walking in the darkness anymore. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, if we've been born again, if we become part of his family, we will also be part of his resurrection. That's pretty good news right there. Knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him. God, I'm counting my old man as dead. I'm, I'm dead to that, that old way of life. That the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be in bondage to sin. That's the great irony in this world. That's the great irony. People think that the, the ability to do whatever they want to do is freedom, and it's actually bondage. They're actually in bondage to the sin that is drawing them into sexual sin or uh, gossip or whatever, right? I mean, you can, a million times, you can fill in the blanks. You can think of it. And John says, no. No, no. We, we move away from this stuff. Now again, already covered it. He's not, we're not going to be perfect, right? He, he, he's made that clear in verse 8 and, and 10. We won't be perfect. You're still going to mess up. I'm still going to mess up this side of glory. You're still going to say things at times. That you're like, oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that to her. You're still going to think things that God would not have you thought. You're still going to be apathetic at times. You're still going to have some of that stuff, but... So it's, it's not perfectionism, but neither is it antinomianism. It's not, well, it just doesn't matter. I can just live my life any way I want. Listen, antinomianism is alive and well today. It's not called that anymore, but it's still alive and well today. Well, you know, God loves you, and that, that's all that really matters. God loves you and just accepts you as you are. I'm just telling you, it doesn't sound that way from what I'm reading. He takes you as you are, but he will not leave you there. He pulls you out of the darkness into the light if you've truly come into a relationship with That's what he's saying. If, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and still walk in the darkness, and we'll get into that in the further chapters, because if you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I do still sin. Does that mean I'm walking in the darkness? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that and what he's saying. But think of it this way. We, if, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we won't be sinless. But we will sin less. That, that's, that's just what's going to happen. As I, as I know him, as I spend more time with him, as I, as I, as I spend time and, and, and absorb his wisdom, as, as I feel the weight of my conviction, as I know uh, his spirit, his spirit works in me and his spirit empowers me and his spirit leads me into a new direction of my life so that I'm moving out of the darkness, whatever, whatever life is still a life of sin, whatever it was before Christ, moving out of that and moving into light, knowing that I won't be perfect, but I'm moving in a new direction of my life. And I want to move in that direction. See, that was the problem with the antinomians. By the way, you could probably guess uh, the, the, the antinomian extreme was much more popular than the perfection extreme, right? Because the antinomian extreme let me do whatever I wanted to do, live my flesh, indulge my flesh, do whatever I want to do, and it didn't matter because I'm forgiven. And John says, that is bogus. No, we won't be sinless, but we will sin less. This is the message. He said, this is the message I proclaim to you. God has no sin. Yes, You have sinned. You are a sinner. But we will sin less as we come into a relationship 
with him. We will move away from sin in our lives, seeking to honor him as more of his, listen, as more of his uh, nature gets a hold of my life, more of my old nature gets eroded away and pushed away and cut away so that I'm not perfect, but I'm a man seeking to walk and honor God with every ounce of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. All means all, and that's all that all means. That's a great word for us today. Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins. But as Pastor Clay explained today, that's not a license to sin. Jesus' death not only sets us free from the penalty of sin, but when we truly surrender our lives to Him, the confession of our sin becomes a life-changing event. We don't become perfect, but we are set free from the power of sin in our lives. As Pastor Clay put it in today's message, we won't be sinless, but we will sin less. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.